0: I'm Alexis and I'm a Christian who has survived an abusive marriage. These situations are so complex. So who are they gonna believe necessarily? Like they have a lot at stake too. Like they employ this guy. Like, do they want to get it out that no? And like they I think they a lot of times when you when you speak out about abuse for the first time, and this is why you do have to be careful is because what sucks about abuse is it's most, these situations are so complex. So who are they gonna believe necessarily? Like, they have a lot at stake too. Like, they employ this guy. Like, do they wanna get it out, that no. The
1: I'm a Christian Who podcast is real stories of real Christians. We're not here to judge. We're not here to talk politics. We're just here to listen and learn how to love people better. According to recent statistics, more than one in three women and more than one in four men will experience harm from a partner in their lifetime. And Alexis's story is no different. Now, when it comes to abusive relationships, there are a lot of different types of abuse. Not all abuse is physical. Some of it can be financial, emotional, mental, even spiritual. Now, Alexis herself, was married to a pastor. So she's gonna share her story of when she realized this relationship was abusive, and she's gonna give advice, not only for women and men who are in abusive relationships, but how you can better support people who you suspect are in a relationship like that. And before we start, I'd love to give a shout out to our sponsor, Salt, the dating app made by Christians for Christians. What I love about Salt is not only does it introduce single Christians to other amazing single Christians, but it lets you match and connect on values, character traits, and interests, not just pictures in a quick paragraph. The other cool thing is they've got daily live audio events where you can connect, talk, and chat with hundreds of other single Christians on loads of different topics to dating, film, spirituality, and more. I'm actually gonna be honest on there weekly talking about the topics that happen on this show so if you want to give it a shot download the salt app today and for those in the u.s and canada use my code cwcs for three months of free premium wherever you are if you meet someone special let us know and we'll feature you on our insta story and get salt to pay for your next date go on add some salt to your love life you've got nothing to lose. This is a a huge topic that I feel really honored that you're willing to tell it because I think a lot of, you know, women and men who have been through, you know, abusive relationships, there's a lot of shame in that. And there's a lot Mm of, you know, the people who are in it, obviously that there's a lot of shame, but even the people who have come through it just to, to be willing to go back and, and relive a lot of those things is really tough. But I also know that you're not defined by that. So Mm -hmm. I want to learn more about you first. So can you tell me uh, more about like who you are now? Like, what what are some things that are unique about you? Who are you?
0: Yeah. It's cool to talk about who I am now because yeah, you kind of feel like part of you is suppressed, you know, and then when you get to these points in life, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm kind of a cool person. You know, like I didn't I didn't realize all that. So <laughs> yeah, I'm um, I'm thirty years old. I have a two and a half year old daughter, and then I have a five year old stepson. Um, I recently got remarried, so that is a very happy part of my story and my journey. And yeah, I have been a dance teacher, dancer myself own studios and all of that. So I've always loved like the creative side of things. And yeah, just grew up as a Christian, went to ministry school, have always loved God and but have had a hard life, I would say like, you know, as as many of us have. And it's just cool to be where I'm at now. I feel like I'm getting to kind of almost start my life for the first time, which is really exciting. So
1: yeah, because I, I think the thing a lot of people are the, you know, you know, the, the common thought that can be out there is this doesn't happen to Christian women, you know, that there's mm-hmm. that every Christian man is that perfect leader of his family, the perfect biblical man, and people don't want to believe that the Bible right. can be used in abusive marriages too, and not always in the ways that people understand. So before we get to, you know, what, what you've been through, um, I want to hear about how you and your ex-husband met. So can you describe what initially attracted you to your ex-husband when you started dating? Because I know you mentioned to me before that you guys started dating at a pretty young age.
0: So I was 14. I just switched schools, so it was my freshman year. He was a couple years older at the Christian school that we went to, and yeah, met him. Obviously, you have the normal, like, I think he's cute. You know, he was the star athlete at the school, and you know, just had like a really fun and bubbly personality. So we got to know each other started hanging out and talking more and I would say like what first of all I'm 14 so and I had had like a hard time at home and you know was going through a lot just emotionally and you know with everything so like you have that this is the first person that I've ever actually dated and then I ended up Marrying him, so I didn't have much to go off of. So you, when you feel those feelings of like, wow, but I would say for us, like I think what was really difficult, even when I started to realize things were not good, like going back to the past and being like, well, how did our relationship start? Well, our relationship started centered completely around God and our passion for ministry, and honestly, it might have been a little bit too focused on that and maybe not focused enough on like some other things that you need and romantic relationship and different things like that. But I would say we were good friends. We were really passionate. We wanted to be in ministry. We spurred each other on. But I would say kind of on a looking back on a personal level, he was very positive. There are a lot of things that I believed about myself and even ways that I acted that now I'm like, I actually can be a positive person. But back then, I was very depressed. I I wasn't an optimist. I, I just had a lot going on. And so he almost offered a way where I could go have fun or I could be carefree or I could almost like ride the coattail of his positivity, his outlook on life, you know, all of that. I would also say too, That along the way, like, yeah, I was in high school and again, struggling and stuff like that. And so I would have like slip ups. And what was really interesting is that I would go to him and almost like ask slash need his forgiveness then that would put our relationship back on track. And then I think that created this dynamic that I really started to just rely on him for my validation, my even forgiveness, like my ability to know that I was a good person. Like I, I it was it, really it's difficult. almost like
1: what should have been, what should have been God, he was stepping in for you to ask forgiveness for.
0: Yes. And what's hard is that, and I think a lot of people who are in similar situations, what's hard is that we both loved God together. And it was never a thing of, you know, yeah, I went to God all the time and we prayed. And that's what I was like, I'm pursuing the Lord with my life. That's where things get tangled is when you actually realize you're looking to another person, you know, fast forward and we'll get to it. But Actually, that same realization hit me, I mean, what, almost 15 years later? And I was like, he is not my God. Like, God, you're my God. And I can't live like this if it, you know, continues that way. So it's interesting to look back.
1: As you tell that story, it all sounds so like relatable and positive and mm-hmm. And like you said, he's a very positive person. You know, you guys are, are high schoolers in love. And, you know, so in that kind of dating relationship before you guys got married, were there red flags that you kind of saw aside from, you know, the asking for forgiveness and kind of set up, right. were there red flags that now looking back, you realize you ignored?
0: Yes. I mean, many. That's why it's a little hard because the one thing I can trace it back to is I was just so young, you know, and even when I got married, we ne- we never broke up. And I have an interesting story about how God kind of told me to let it happen. And then I basically said no, and we stayed together and then we ended up getting married. You know, I was 21, I think. I would say, looking back, oh my gosh, there's a ton of red flags. What I noticed, and I think what people try to talk about with red flags is that so often like it's not going to be in your face a lot of times it's a red flag that you feel inside Mm -hmm. um and there were many where looking back now i know i suppressed like you know some things were like a little bit awkward like physically but like i suppressed that because literally i would go back and be like he's such a great man of god we're supposed to be together and do ministry together and you know, how could this not be good? How could this not be what I need in my life? And so but yeah, I I saved letters ever since I was that age. We used to write letters back and forth and even during my divorce I actually had to enter some of them into evidence and I had not wow. gone back and looked over them obviously until now. And they were alarming. Like, um, I showed it to my. What did they say? One of them. So when I was 16, my family moved to where they live now. So I moved across the country. And him and I started a long distance relationship of I think at least four years, we were long distance. So before I left, he wrote me, I think it was 52 bullet points, and they're numbered. And it was everything that I needed to promise him. And it's scary. It's like, you'll always pay your bills on time. You'll complete your homework and turn it in. You'll look for -for two-for-one deals at the store. You won't buy gum at the gas station because that costs money and a dollar is a dollar. You'll wear makeup, but you won't wear too much makeup. I mean, like, in looking back, it's like, I think in the Christian circle, you know, and it really doesn't always have to be that extreme. Like looking back, I'm like, oh, my gosh. But in the moment, there is this thing about like, well, there's a part of women. I feel like you do want to be like led by a man, you know, usually. And so it it kind of almost felt like, well, he's just trying to protect me or like he really cares about me. And so,
1: you know, that's all before you got married. You saw the red flags. You had the opportunity to to get out. But let's get to the point where now you are married. And, um, you know, divorce is a very, you know, contentious thing within Christianity, even, you know, some people think there's no reason for it. Others think there's lots of reasons for it. So before we get to that point, though, can you walk me through and give me some examples of when you knew your marriage wasn't healthy? Like when you started realizing, like, I don't think this is normal.
0: (laughs) I mean, our honeymoon When I when I talk to other people, it's normally younger Christians or just people who've gotten in situations where they're like, shoot, like, I married the wrong person. Like, I wouldn't have gone that far. But I was like, this is going to be hard. You know, he's very controlling financially. And so obviously, when our finances combined, which starts on the honeymoon, I remember we were in the airport and I wanted to get like a smoothie or something. I was hungry. I wanted something healthy or whatever. And he had brought a bag of spinach that we had gotten at the grocery store on our honeymoon. And he's like, here, you can eat this. And I'm like, I want to go get a smoothie or dinner or something. And he's like, no, we need to eat what we have. You're not going to spend money on that. And you're literally and then it's like, but I have no choice. And and you'll hear people in my situation say that all the time. And we really do mean it because, you know, everyone can look on that and say, that's ridiculous. Like, go take your credit card and go. But like when you're with people. Like he is, and he's he's a diagnosed narcissist, um, I found out later on. But when you're with people who do manipulate you and are abusive or whatever, sure, I could say no and I could go get my smoothie, but I would have to pay, probably relationally. Like, I, I would... You know, he would maybe not talk to me. He would question the next thing that I purchased. I mean, I mean, there are con- there are real consequences. So when people say I don't have a choice, like, I mean, I guess you do. But what are you going to do? So that was the very beginning.
1: Well, what do you I, I, I think we should we should clarify this. What do you think the difference is between a, a couple maybe tightening their finances and financial abuse?
0: So now I'm in a healthy marriage. We're not struggling financially like I was, you know, back then, which, you know, does truly change some things, of course. But what I've noticed is that my wants and needs with my husband are factored in with his wants and needs. And so, no, can we afford everything that I want? Like, and he wants? No, you can't. But like, I feel safe enough with him that I know that like, when we look at our money, it's like, I know that he's not gonna withhold from me, like in the sense of, you know, if I want something and we can make it happen, like he loves me and he wants to sacrifice, you know, Of himself to to give me what I need and what I want. I also don't feel like a ton of shame and a ton of guilt and like, oh gosh, maybe my priorities are, you know, maybe I am materialistic. Maybe I should, you know, like you don't feel that at all. And like, yeah, you might be disappointed of like, ah, shoot, or, you know, you do have disagreements. I I don't wanna act like you're not gonna get in a fight about this. I mean, gosh, money is like a big deal, but you should never walk away, I believe, feeling like trapped, number one. Like if you were to even go to them, like you have no options. Like they're the ones that decide what you do and how you spend it. And if you step out of line, then they'll punish you, whether that, like I said, is relationally or sometimes restricting your spending or, you know, whatever. So and this is where I think people might be like, huh, like, they might see this happen in their relationships, too, is, you know, um, stonewalling. I mean, that's a really common thing um, in not healthy slash, you know, abusive relationships. Um, you get punished relationally. So if you step out of line with something that they don't want you to do or they want to change you in some way because you're not, you know, what they want, you're not doing what they want, what, it's extremely controlling. Yeah, you'll you'll be alone and then the hard part is is that a lot of times, you know, they won't speak to you or they'll in the future they won't trust you. So comes the next time that you need to talk to them about a financial decision, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, we'll remember that time when I told you not to do it and you did it." And and then you're like, "Whoa." So like, but the thing is is relationally, I feel like they abandon you through any kind of tactic. And then what's hard is you're left alone and you're the one that's left with the shame and the questioning of like gosh like is something wrong with me should I change am I being sinful should I support my all over like a smoothie you know and and that's that's what you have to end up like realizing is that your own mind and stuff ends up attacking you and that's when you know that like you've been abused, like you've been manipulated, taken advantage of when when you're alone and you're attacking yourself because you're so confused and all of that, so.
1: So, okay, what does an abuser actually look like? Or what are some things you notice that are red flags that you've got an abuser?
0: It looks like a lot of things. Someone like him, they are very controlling. A lot of times, you know, a lot of times they're their God, you know, and and I don't mean that he doesn't love God or, you know, I, I have to just leave that up to, <laughs> you know, God and him. Like, I, I don't know. But most of the time, it's like they live their lives as if they're the ones that rule the world and the world revolves around them. So I would say part of the issue with him was he was extremely critical held himself to a standard that was a little odd like he didn't struggle with like what other what I saw even other Christians like confessing that they struggled with and like I literally could not find one thing like on the outside that I'm like wow he's really struggling with this whereas here I am like you know I have issues and I work through them and all this stuff but mine are like on display and I I couldn't I mean, up until a couple of years ago, I did not know like what his issues were. So, yeah, it, it's a big deal. But so they a lot of times hold you to a standard that God doesn't even hold you to, you know. And you lose all concept of grace. You lose all concept of forgiveness. I remember he wouldn't let me like, and and I'll say probably a couple times like towards the end. So that just means as things got you know worse and worse and worse, he wouldn't let me say I'm sorry anymore he would say, the only way you can apologize to me is if you change and you never do it again. He said, I don't even want to hear. I'm sorry. So it, it skews your view of God. And I look back through my journals and it's so sad because I, I'm crying out to God, but it's all like, what's wrong with me, God? Like, like, how do I change? How do I be better? You know? And that's not right because god doesn't even require those things i mean it would be you know practical level it's very controlling things Of i'd be in the morning i would come downstairs and this is right up until we separated so what i'm 28 29 um even when we had a kid like i mean is this was not too long ago i'd be on my phone you know and that's kind of how i like to wake up and He would be like, you really should be reading your Bible. Like, you should not be filling your head with the things on your phone. And he wouldn't let phones in the bedroom. I mean, it it just became like you felt like you were never good enough, like not to him. And then obviously you question, well, geez, like, I guess, yeah, if I am on my phone and I care more about social media than I care about reading the word or praying or, you know, serving in his church ministries, then yeah, something must be wrong you know, with me. And that's the thing too, is like, I believe that if you talk to anybody who's gotten out of these situations, and this is something I really do want to touch on, like in a little bit is, it is not one decision. Like some days, it was probably a 1000 times that I had to decide to keep going. And so I do feel like I have a little bit to say about that. But the time where I remember, I think I referred to it earlier of, he's not my God, had an opportunity to buy a dance studio business. It was always my dream. We had, you know, I had helped put him through, you know, seminary, like we were always chasing around the country, his jobs and his passions and all this stuff. So this comes up, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I might actually get to do like, what I want to do and like serve God in the ways that I know that he's, you know, and I had a lot of great, there were a lot of great details and all that kind of thing. I remember I brought it to him and he said, no, no, you're not doing that. And I was like, what? And so that's the thing too, is, you know, narcissists, people like this, you can't have your own, you can't have your own identity. And I think that's something that people even, you know, even if it's not as full blown as mine, or you don't have as weird examples, or, you know, maybe it's way worse than mine. The thing is, is you have to realize, like, they will slowly take away your identity, they'll slowly take away your ability to serve God in the ways that you want, they'll take away, you know, you will find your like not allowed to or not allowed but you're even discouraged like you know he'll be like oh that friend like well that friend's not good and then you find you're not even with the kind of friends that you like you're not even wearing the clothes that you you know you lose yourself and that's you know that's not by accident like when these people are this way um that is the goal of having a relationship with you. It's not to have a relationship with you. It's to have a relationship with the person that they want you to be. So he would just say no. And I remember it was a big fight. I didn't know what to do. I went on a walk. It was one in the morning. And I'm just like, God, like, this is scary. You know, I'm like, he's not my God. I I am not going to live the rest of my life like missing out on everything that you've called me to be and all this stuff. So that was when I would say I got like alarmed, like inside, you know, then time passes and whatever else. Books were very helpful to me, honestly, like TikTok, like um, Instagram. I mean, there are so many tools right now that if you really do immerse yourself, like you do get a lot of support and education. and, And so it really helped me in figuring out that this was abuse because it should not be this hard to figure out that this was abuse, but it is. And for everybody, it's so hard because you think it'll never be you. And again, he's a pastor and blah, blah, blah. So I remember there was one night I stumbled upon a book like it popped up on Amazon or something. And it was called, when staying with him is hurting you or something like that. I can get the actual title, but I stayed up all night 5am. I had to work the next day reading this book. And I was sobbing the whole way through because it was the first time on paper that I read my life. And I'm like, what? people's husbands say the same exact words like that, like they have the same exact fights, the, the people who feel, you know, abused or whatever, they think the same things. Like it was insane. And since then it's like, there is a playbook. Like that's the one thing about, sometimes I feel like evil and, you know, just manipulative people, um, eventually that you can see patterns and you have to pay attention. And honestly you have to work hard to understand, but they're very predictable people once you know. So why I say that is just because you'll probably find that if you start to explore and you come across a book or a story or a TikTok or something, and you're like, Whoa, that that's my life. Like pay attention because there's a whole bunch of other stuff out there. And you'll find that like, It is not like there's nothing new under the sun, you know, especially with abuse and marriage and Christianity. No. Yeah. So I would say that that was like, you know, once you know something, you can't know it. I was like, I I can't do this. Like this is going to destroy me and my daughter if I stay.
1: So all this happened and, you know, Christians can be very dismissive towards you and, you know, what, what you've been through, even though they shouldn't be. So what changed for you to realize that, you know, you have to get out of this, you have to move on, you have to find something new?
0: So I told myself, you know, I got the lovely privilege that, you know, my husband always worked at the church that we went to. So literally my pastor was his boss. So many times I thought about like, gosh, our marriage is not going good. Like I I wish I could talk to them, but I I don't want to do that, you know? And I told myself, I said, God, I will not go to the pastor slash my husband's boss um, unless I feel like if I don't say something, our marriage is going to fail. Like you know, it, it will go down. And so I got to the point where I was like, I need to say something. Like we are, this is not good. Like our marriage is burning to the ground. I need help. So of course, you go to your pastor who also was very supportive of me and you know like was the worship leader and I was saying on am worshiping you know and like you develop a relationship you know and so I ended up going into his office and at the time I was suffering so like so much physical stuff from the stress like my mouth was like broken out and sores. I mean, my body was just a wreck. And and that's what was happening. Like, you know, also with abuse, like, yeah, it doesn't always, it's not always gonna be like you get beat up, but like the circumstances beat you up. Like the abuse ends up beating you up um, in your body. And so a lot of times you get some very serious health problems. So anyways, I remember going in, sitting there and being like drained. And I remember sobbing and being like, I don't know what to do. Like, I like my body is breaking down. Something's not right. Like, he he doesn't treat me right. But like, but I don't I don't know what to do. And that meeting was horrendous. A big thing that happens is you find that churches and pastors care way more about marriage and keeping a couple together then they care about dealing with the fact that no sometimes it's dangerous for this couple to be together or no sometimes like one spouse like breaks vows and that doesn't always mean cheating like that's something i have to learn too is like you can break a vow when you have a hard heart and you literally like you know despise your spouse and treat your spouse you know like trash like there are you can break vows. It's not just cheating. And so that's something that I had to learn about too, of like, wait, my marriage vows are not even intact. Like, even though I want them to be, but like everyone's saying you made vows, you know, you guys can work on this. God, my favorite, God can heal this. God can restore this. God, you know, all this stuff. And I'm literally sitting there. Like, I feel like a bag of bones, like skin and bones, like suffering so much. I'm like, but what about me? I'm saying I need help. Like, I, I don't sure my marriage, whatever, but like, can you help me? And no, and it, it was bad. And so again, these situations are so complex. So who are they going to believe necessarily? Like they have a lot at stake too. Like they employ this guy. Like, do they want to get it out that no. And like they, I think they, you know, A lot of times when you when you speak out about abuse for the first time, and this is why you do have to be careful, is because what sucks about abuse is it's mostly hidden, um, especially with these kind of people. So I always say, like, the four walls of my house and like me and him, we're the only people that know what happened. We're the only people. And what I feel like the church and pastors, I mean, everyone needs to understand is that the reason that abuse like keeps going is because you can like front it to everybody, especially in the church, you know? And so when it comes time to be like, wait a second, you know, I've been mistreated for years. I, you know, people are like, well, why now? Like, you know, and so I was, I could not believe it. I had the best intentions. I felt like I was humble and tried to express myself clearly and all these things. But in the end, they supported him. And I was left with nothing because I chose to separate, which they thought was disastrous and so extreme. But when my counselor told me, you need a counselor who knows about domestic abuse too. But when my counselor told me that, no, 90-day separation is the minimum of what happens when you find out that you're in an abusive relationship, you stop all couples counseling. I mean, there are very like specific things that you must do because it is no longer a marriage issue. Like, this is abuse. So the whole marriage thing goes away for a second. And then you're dealing with, oh, my gosh, like, there's an abuser and there's somebody who's being abused. And so it's almost like a crisis situation that that's what you go in on. And that's where churches and people get it wrong is they're like, oh, no, the marriage. And it's like, no. So I would say, like, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't believed because people are like, well, why now? And we never saw that. And, you know, but the thing I will say is that there is a lot of redemption that comes when you stick it out and you follow God despite. I mean, I can't even tell you, I had nobody like for a while and I would get texts and emails and phone calls every day saying, you're making the wrong decision. You better not, you know, and it it was, it was intense. And I will say like the thing about it though, is that when you're actually following what God calls you to do, it is not easy by no means, but truth, I feel like begets life. And so, so many of my relationships were restored So many weren't, but I don't miss that. Um, There there was so much that I lost during that time that, you know, in the moment you think I'm not going to get that back and God's good in that you don't need a lot of it back. But then the people who do come back, like the other thing I'll say too, is that after you're out of it, people come out of the woodwork and I can't even tell you how, healing this has been but people reached out to me that worked on staff with him and you know all these random things and I would get these long messages of like we believe you like I saw it too like he treated me this way too this was how the staff meetings were at church when you guys were even going through all this like people see and so that's the thing is even if you don't see that validation. Now, sometimes you have to walk alone, but like it comes because it's the truth.
1: Well, I'm sure, you know, this Alexis, the dating world is, is super chaotic and can get super frustrating. So was it difficult after this divorce, after going through all of this to date again?
0: Yeah, it's a crazy world out there. And it, and it, and it shows me why it shows me why I was scared to date. It shows me why, you know, I would say one of the biggest things that I see now is people settling, you know, and, and it's hard. I get it. I went from, you know, being in a relationship for 15 years to then being like, Oh, I have to like do online dating and like go meet strangers. I'm like, this is weird and it's hard and it sucks, you know, but I would say that like, again, that's like, uh, sorry, I, w- I would say that like, the one of the biggest hindrances is like, people f- are afraid they'll be alone. And it's scary. It's real. Like, I can't guarantee you, you'll find somebody. I don't think that's a guarantee from God. Um, I know people who, yeah, needed to get out and they desperately wish they could find somebody and they can't, you know, like, I mean, it, it's, it's hard. But I think that's where the faith part comes in. And the part of you're not guaranteed the future you're not you have to act on what you know now and what i knew then was i can't live like this and you find that you get to know yourself again like i mean it's hard yeah i wanted to be with somebody i I would come home to my house and i was just alone you know it was weird but i would say with dating yeah it was scary it was scary to realize what do i what are the things I'm going to need to compromise on? Like for me, like I wanted them to be a Christian, but I didn't want them to be like a crazy Christian and like very ego. But then I also was like, I don't think I can be with somebody who's like not at all. And I had a daughter. And I mean, yeah, it's a lot. So I got a very fast track course in dating. I would say, you know, I'm the first one to say that. My story, my marriage and stuff, like I am very blessed and I thank God. I mean, I had hours and hours of crying, being all alone. Like it it wasn't like it just appeared, but, but I'm thankful. My current marriage, it's taught me what it's like to be loved. And honestly, it, when you actually find real love and that could even be real love for yourself or that could be real love from a church community or, you know, no strings attached love. When you experience that for the first time you can look back on the past and be like, thank God I'm out because living loved is, it's how God wants it to be.
1: So since you've been through all this, it, it's, it's so fascinating because you, you've got to almost rediscover yourself all over again because you've been with him for so long and it's been you know, so painful. So how do you find yourself again? Like, how do you let others know that it's okay to press forward after going through something traumatic like this?
0: What changed it for me? is i sat down with my counselor and i'm pretty sure you could find this online or something but um it's like a clinical graph basically of you know the progression of abuse and i would say that's one thing that you have to understand even if you don't believe it for yourself is that abuse doesn't get better it only gets worse and this continuum always remember it was this arrow And it literally starts at the bottom where you might have some emotional abuse or some different things like that. Well, then it like progresses. If you don't get out of it, it gets worse. And so for me, I started to actually have some physical things happening. But again, it wasn't getting punched in the eye. You know, a lot of times people will say, I wish I could have been punched in the eye (laughs) because people would believe me and it would just be right then and there. No, instead like he pulled my hair and tripped me and poked me and, you know, wouldn't let go of my leg and just like all these weird things that are, it's almost embarrassing to be like, yeah, I'm physically abused. Like that, it's kind of like what, but no, when you don't have control over your own body and when saying no doesn't cut it. And when you're getting physically injured and hurt, like that counts, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. Domestic violence now um, holds the whole umbrella of, Domestic abuse. So, when people even refer now to domestic violence, it doesn't mean physical violence. It can be violence emotionally or spiritually or financially, you know. So, I would say there are many things that you will believe do not apply to you, but you have to forego that and you have to face the facts. Like, it will get worse. And so, this continuum shows, you know, it starts out here. Then you get into some physical abuse. You get into like more extreme abuse. And then at the end is a little bubble and it says homicide or suicide. And I literally laughed at my counselor because I know her pretty well. I've been through a lot together, but I literally was like, you're kidding. And then I like sat there for a second. I'm like, homicide, like really? Like, no, like that's not me. But then I like focused in on the suicide part and I got really quiet and I was kind of like abuse kills you, <laughs> you know, like it 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 kills you. If you don't get out, it will kill you. And that could be physically, you know, that could be um, many other ways of death. And so. You have to face the facts. It will only get worse. There's about this little bit of chance that abusers, um, narcissists can actually change. That was a huge thing for me too. And I felt like I did not need to sacrifice my life anymore to hold out hope that somebody would change. He had many opportunities to change and it is okay to be done and to say, You had enough opportunities and that's it because the sad reality is that, yes, even if they're Christians or pastors or you pray for them or you do everything possible to help them and restore them, the statistics are really, really bleak. And that's hard for Christians because God can heal every marriage, but...
1: Wow. Okay. Thank you so much, Alexis. This story, man, I I can only imagine how many people are going to find hope. Cause I mean, this is something where so many women and men may be stuck in this situation right now. And, uh, a realize that not even realize that they're in it, but B, if they do know that they're in it, they don't know how to get out of it. So this is something that I know is going to, you know, change lives and you're going to have a huge impact on people. So thank you so much, Alexis.
0: I appreciate it so much. What you're doing is really awesome. So thank you. It was part of a redemption of my story too. God, I knew that I needed to use this. So thank you for that opportunity.